Trigger warning, this podcast may not be suitable for all listeners. Some of the topics that may be talked about is violence, rape, murder, and offenses against children. Listener discretion is advised. What's up everybody? Welcome back to my True Crime Podcast. This is Unhinged Anatomy of a Crime. My name is Brittany and I will be your host. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you all have had a great week. I am recording this on a Saturday, so I know I'm definitely glad it's the weekend. I just want to take a really quick second to shout out my brother, Damien. He recommended this case to me, and I've never heard of it before. And it turned out to be, it was pretty interesting, to be honest. So let's just get right into it. When you think of a clown... What comes to mind? Do you think about a circus where people are laughing and having fun? Or do you think about it and John Wayne Gacy? Well, if you chose the latter, then you definitely belong here. Because this is a true crime podcast and there will never be any friendly clowns here. Today, we will be discussing the murder of Marlene Warren. And when a clown showed up to her front door, it would forever change the lives of those who loved Marlene. Oh, how pretty. Those were the last words Marlene Warren would ever speak when she answered her door on the morning of May 26, 1990. Marlene had been at home spending the day just hanging out, watching TV with her son, Joe, and he had some friends over as well when there was a knock at the door around 10.30 that morning. Marlene goes to the door to find a clown standing on the other side with a bouquet of red and white carnations and two balloons. One balloon said, you're the greatest, and the other had Snow White and the seven dwarfs on it. Then, without warning, the clown shoots Marlene in the face. Joe later recalls that at first they thought it was a balloon popping, but when he saw his mother fall to the ground, he knew it was more than that. Joe and his friends run into the living room to check on Marlene and try to look outside to see if they can see who the person was responsible for shooting his mother. When he looks outside, he sees a clown casually walking back to a white Chrysler LeBaron. Joe yells at the clown, and right before the clown goes to get in his car, he or she turns to look Joe in the eyes. Joe would describe the clown as wearing a bright orange wig, a clown suit, and had a ton of clown makeup on, hiding their face completely. He said the only thing about the actual person he could make out was that they had brown eyes. Joe then starts to run after the clown, but he unfortunately had a broken leg at the time, so he didn't get very far before the clown was gone. Joe calls 911 right away, and as soon as emergency services get there, Marlene is rushed to the hospital. Unfortunately, 
her injuries were too severe and she would succumb to them two days later. Marlene was just 40 years old when she passed away. Wow. So this is basically like every person's worst nightmare come true. Like a killer clown on the loose. I know personally I'm not super afraid of clowns. But if I answered the door and seen one standing on my front porch, after this podcast especially, I'm going to just shut the door. I don't care what they're offering. <laughs> they better try another house. Okay, so Marlene was born April 15th, 1950. She had a pretty ordinary childhood. She was a good kid with a nice family. In 1966, she got married at the age of 16 to a man named John Aarons. They together would have two sons, John Jr. and Joe. John was born in 1967 and Joe in 1969. That marriage, however, ended tragically just four short years after it began. In 1970, Marlene's husband passed away. And while I didn't find a whole lot of information about the death, I did read that it was due to a car accident. Marlene was devastated. And now at the young age of 20, she was a widow and a mother to two young boys who just are about to experience losing a father. Like just such a tragedy to go through to lose a husband at such a young age. That's terrible. But a little while later, Marlene decided to give dating another try, and that's when she met Michael Warren. And in 1972, just two years after John's passing, she would marry Michael. Michael Warren also grew up in Michigan. His father worked in the meat business and introduced Mike to it when he was just 12 years old. In 1972, around the time he and Marlene got married, he applied for a job at the Department of Florida Agriculture. He got the job and was making around $500 a month. He eventually worked his way up to be a supervisor and at that point was making a little over $1,350 a month. But shortly after the raise, he resigned from this position. His employer accused him of falsifying timesheets. He said that Michael was actually out purchasing vehicles to sell while on state time. He accused, Michael accused his bosses of trying to frame him and claimed he had no other choice but to resign. But that didn't keep him down long. In January 1980, Mike started a new project called Mike Warren's Racing Stable. He named his best horse Joyce Azaline after his mother. In 1980, Mike and Marlene also started buying property in Palm Beach, Florida. They bought a home in Royal Palm Beach as well. Things were going pretty great for the Warrens. However, on September 3rd, 1988, things would take a devastating turn. Johnny, Marlene's eldest son, was killed in a car wreck. He was just 22 years old, and as you can imagine, this devastated Marlene, and several would report that it was around this time that the Warren's marriage started falling apart. Marlene tried her best to cope however she could. Mike tried to stay busy as well, 
But with that, he started distancing himself from the family. And Marlene even believed that he was having an affair with an employee named Sheila Keene. Marlene's mother would later tell investigators it was after Johnny's death that one day Marlene mentioned to her that she and Mike were not happy anymore. They were having lots of problems. She even told her mother if that if she were to ever turn up dead or missing, that it was Mike. It turns out Marlene was thinking about leaving Mike, but the couple was so tied up in investments and properties together, and most of it was done in Marlene's name. So they just, they didn't. But by 1990, the couple was doing very well financially for themselves. They owned several rental properties. Their holdings alone in rental properties actually totaled to be about $1.1 million. Marlene handled the tenants and was known to be a very good landlord. She hated evicting anyone. Her tenants would later report that she would let them pay late if necessary and would always try her hardest to work with them on whatever was needed. Mike also owned two other businesses, kind of like buy here, pay here type of car lots. They lived in a very nice neighborhood in Wellington, Florida, and it was supposed to be one of the safest neighborhoods around. Most people who lived there would even make the comment that before the shooting, no one ever even locked their doors. When the police started their investigation after the murder, the first person to be questioned was Joe. He was there when it happened, and he did have a little bit of a criminal record. In 1989, Joe was put on probation after pleading guilty to aggravated burglary. He and two other people were accused of beating and stabbing a man in 1986, and then he also had a grand theft auto charge against him, but that one was dropped right before his mother's murder. However, police just didn't believe Joe had anything to do with the murder. Plus, there were witnesses stating that they saw Joe chasing after the clown. So, like any normal investigation, the first place they look is the husband. But, Mike was out of town traveling to an out-of-state horse race. So, he was conveniently in Miami on the day of his wife's murder. Right after the shooting, the police received an anonymous tip from a caller who told them they should definitely look into Mike and a woman named Sheila Keene. Police then discovered that Sheila was a woman who worked for the Warrens. Several witnesses and employees would later give statements and testify to the affair. Richard and Sheila Keene repossessed vehicles for the Warrens. Sheila and Richard was married on May 13, 1987, after Sheila had become pregnant. She gave birth to a son the following August. Sheila was 20 years younger than her husband, and she liked to live the rich lifestyle. She had the fancy clothes, the cars, the jewelry, any and everything. And at that time, they lived in a trailer owned by Richard's family. But by early 1990, their marriage started going downhill, and Sheila actually filed a petition for a junction against Richard for domestic violence. 
in May, she moved into an apartment in West Palm Beach. When police started investigating, they discovered that Mike had been paying Sheila's rent. So, that pretty much confirmed all rumors of the affair between the two. And officials immediately started investigating Sheila. In... 1984 Sheila was arrested for retail theft but I mean that's not really anything police would be looking for that you know would possibly make Sheila a murder suspect I mean she had like an overall clean background detectives at this point were just kind of like drawing a blank they said that this murder was very well thought out and planned That there was just no useful evidence at the crime whatsoever. So they began looking at the smaller details to see if they could pinpoint anything. So starting with the balloons and the clown costume. The balloons they learned were bought from a Publix. The cashiers at the Publix identified Sheila as being the woman who bought the balloons. The Publix was actually about a mile away from the home where Sheila lived at the time. And the balloons were bought less than two hours before the murder. The costume was bought from a costume shop. And when the employees from there were asked if they could identify the person who bought the suit, they both identified Sheila. They also described the clown costume that Joe had seen to a T. Four days after the murder, they recover the LeBaron that they believe was the vehicle the clown was driving. It turned out that the Payless Auto Rental reported the vehicle stolen on April 14th, and the main suspects in that theft were employees of Mike Warren's. During the investigation, no, during the examination of the vehicle, the police found a brown Publix bag as well as orange hair fibers, similar to what the clown had been described as wearing. In June 1990, investigators used the evidence that they had to order Sheila to give hair and blood samples. They also obtained a search warrant for Sheila's home, where they found more orange hair samples. But they couldn't find a murder weapon. And actually, to this day, the murder weapon has never been found. But they obtained the orange orange hairs from Sheila's apartment and from the LeBaron and sent them off for testing. Meanwhile, in the passing months after Marlene's murder, Mike sold their home as well as all their properties. He kept his two car shops, though. About two months after Marlene's death, a dozen cops in plain clothes came and raided Mike's shop. However, the raid was not related to Marlene's murder. Mike and his employees had been known to be scam artists. And so I just want to add this. I was listening to another podcast about this um, on this case specifically. Just trying to get like information. And they described Mike as the man who played the dad in Matilda. <laughs> and I just felt like that was 
like the perfect analogy because that's what I think of when I think of like a, a faulty car salesman. Okay, anyways, so a couple employees were arrested for numerous charges. Mike was actually not at work that day, but later went and turned himself in. He was charged with 13 counts of felony racketeering, operating a chop shop, grand theft auto, and insurance fraud. Mike, of course, claimed that police officers were using this as a way to get him to confess to the murder of his wife, but he has always claimed innocence in the matter, and part of the charges against Mike was Grand Theft Auto on the White LeBaron that police, you know, believed was used as the getaway vehicle. Mike's mom put up her condo as collateral for his bond, and he was released. Mike continued to run his business, but his reputation was kind of just tarnished at this point. In January 1991, police charged Mike with 51 more counts of abdometer fraud and a few other charges, totaling 66 charges. But again, he posted bail and was out once more. So, here we are, one year after the murder, and still no one has been arrested. Anyone who was considered a suspect before has been ruled out. Well, everyone except Mike and Sheila. And while police don't believe Mike is the one who shot her, they do kind of believe that he may be the one who gave Sheila the okay to do so. And I mean, Mike definitely had a motive. He was worried about Marlene leaving him because he was worried about the money he would potentially lose, being that most of the rentals and other properties were Marlene's name. Then add on the fact that he was having an affair. I mean, he, in my opinion, he definitely had the motive. So, Mike's trial got pushed back time and time again. But July 27th, 1992, it was time for him to stand trial. The prosecution was mostly based on the testimony of his former employees. Then, finally, Friday, August the 7th, Mike was found guilty on 43 counts of odometer fraud, theft, and racketeering. Mike faced 33 years in prison, but the prosecution asked for 22. He was eventually, though, sentenced to nine years, but only served three and a half and was released in 1997 on good behavior. From August 1999 to November, a routine audit took place at the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office, and the auditors found errors in the evidence procedures there. They found some evidence improperly stored, and the bags specifically in the Marlene Warren murder case were not sealed, which they most definitely should have been to help preserve the evidence. In the bags was the clown costume and wig, as well as a clown nose and makeup. Of course, the sheriff's office claimed that there was nothing wrong with the evidence and it was all fine. So, in 2000, an entire decade after Marlene's senseless murder, police announced that new DNA testing was being done, but they remained very hush-hush on any other information. That same year, Sheila Keene divorced her husband Richard and took back her maiden name.
Now, are y'all ready for this next part? In 2002, Mike and Sheila got married. Like, for real. That's crazy. That is crazy. So, like, talk about a plot twist. Okay, can you imagine marrying the prom suspect in your late wife's murder? Like, I just can't even wrap my head around that. They basically are just confirming any and all suspicions anyone ever had about the two. Just in my opinion. That's what I feel. So, in 2004, Sheila Warren purchased a three-bedroom home along the Holston River in Abingdon, Virginia. This was along the Tennessee border. The home was estimated to be around $600,000. The couple also owned a restaurant in a nearby town in Kingsport, Tennessee. They named it the Purple Cow. Also at this time, Sheila had changed her name and she was going by Debbie. When asked why she started going by Debbie, she said because her dad used to call her that. But, like, that wasn't even her middle name. So, really, she just didn't want anybody to know her name was Sheila, the killer clown. But, on Tuesday, September 26, 2017, Mike and Sheila were headed back home from a trip when the police pulled them over and arrested Sheila for the murder of Marlene Warren. The arrest was supposed to catch Sheila by surprise. Police said that when she learned that she was being arrested for the murder, that she just shot, sighed, and put her head in her hands. Like, she knew it was finally over and she was caught. I mean, it was 27 years after the murder at this point, And she and Mike had been married for 13 years already. Like, I imagine in the back of her head, she felt like it was over and she had gotten away with it. Sheila was held at a jail in Abington, Virginia until she was extradited back to Florida. She waived her right to fight the extradition back to Florida. Three days after the arrest, she was back in Palm Beach County in front of a judge on first-degree murder, on a first-degree murder charge. She was denied any bond at this time. And she also learned that it was the state's intent to seek the death penalty. At this time, it had been over 10 years since a Florida jury sentenced someone to death. Sheila's attorney told reporters that his client would not plead guilty to any murder charges and that she was innocent. After Sheila's arrest, Joe Aarons, Marlene's son, posted on Facebook, quote, I got some good news today. They got the murderer that killed my mother 27 years ago, end quote. Sheila pleaded not guilty in October 2017, and she also requested a jury trial. In November 2017, Sheila's attorney waived her right to a speedy trial. He informed the judge that he had just received a huge batch of physical and electronic evidence regarding the case. During this time, Mike was standing by Sheila, and he said he believes she is innocent. Sheila claims she found God while being in prison, and she knows that he will see her through. So, skip ahead a little more. Jury selection is scheduled to begin 
May 29th, 2020, 30 years basically to the day since the murder. The trial is scheduled to run through June, but instead, Sheila's attorney convinced her to take a plea deal, and she pled guilty to the murder of Marlene on April 25th, 2023. Circuit Judge Scott Saskower, not sure if I'm saying that right, accepted her plea in exchange for a 12-year prison sentence with credit for her already five and a half years. She already has been in jail. So basically, she will spend about 16 more months, which by this time, I would say probably about 10 more months. And then she will be yet again a free woman. Mike has never been charged with anything related to the murder of Marlene. And in just a few short months, he will be reunited with his wife. That absolutely blows my mind. Like, I just cannot believe all the twists and turns of this case. But nonetheless, Joe said he feels relieved since the conviction. He feels that justice was finally served. And even though it took a long time, he is just thankful for some sort of answers. So, that's it, y'all. That's my case on the crazy ex-clown killer definitely keep those doors locked at night uh hope you guys enjoyed my telling i just want to say thank you again for listening i seriously am loving doing this a little more each time i do it next week is gonna be a little different it's gonna be a little special to me i plan to have a guest um on to talk about a very near and dear case but you will just have to wait till Tuesday to see who it's going to be about also I do have social media accounts you can follow to keep up with what's coming next I post pictures of all the cases um, on Tuesdays I do like the teaser Tuesdays so you know what's coming next and then one more thing I do have an email account dedicated just to this podcast it's unhingedanatomyofacrime at gmail.com. All lowercases, no spaces, nothing. Feel free to shoot me a message with case recommendations. I love that. Like, I, my favorite thing is to research a case that I've never heard of, which was this one. I'd never heard of this case, and it turned out to be super interesting to me. But, uh... I mean, that's it. Until next time, y'all. This has been Unhinged, Anatomy of a Crumb with Brittany.